Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast is sponsored by Hunt a Killer. Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episodes. Or boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items, such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. Use these clues to solve the ongoing murder mystery, and in the final episode, you'll catch the killer. It's like an escape room delivered to your door every month. Check them out today at huntakiller.com and use promo code TCNS for 20% off your first box. Thanks for watching, and on to our episode. He is a serial killer with many names, notorious for killing between 12 and 24 people in the 1970s and 1980s. Now, the true number of his victims is still unknown. Sometimes he's called a bikini killer, but there are several victims who are young, bikini-clad women found dead in tide pools of normally scenic Southeast Asian beaches. You might know him as the Serpent, a nickname garnered for repeatedly slipping through the authorities' grasp and even out of several prisons. He's even been called Asia's Charles Manson, as he conned victims and accomplices with friendship, creating a sort of criminal family that enabled his crimes across almost a dozen countries throughout Europe and Asia. But most simply, his name is Charles Sabraj, and this is the story of how he was caught. Or better yet, when he was shit out of luck. Charles Zabraj was born in Saigon on April 6, 1944, about a decade before Vietnam's French colonizers would be defeated. A turbulent era marked by violence, declining Western rule, the beginning of the country's partition, and boiling communist tensions. His father was an Indian businessman, and his mother an assistant in his tailoring shop. When his parents split a few years after his birth, he reportedly felt very rejected by his father, a feeling some theorized would trigger his depravity for most of his life. His mother remarried a French army officer who moved the family to France, where Charles was sent to boarding school. He despised it and ran away twice by sea, making it as far as the Horn of Africa. On one of his escapes, he was said to be bright, fluent, and multiple languages a fan of nihilist philosophy and an experienced practitioner of mixed martial arts. However, he turned to crime at a very young age. By 1963, he was incarcerated for the first time. By 1963, he was incarcerated for the first time. A trend through his unhappy teen years. Despite his delinquency, Sobraj grew up into what most saw as a handsome, charming man with a reputation as a con man and a womanizer. When charm failed, he could rely on pathological lies that would later help him escape from prisons in Afghanistan and Greece. 
In one case, Sabraj convinced his younger brother to serve his prison sentence by swapping identities. In the other, he faked appendicitis in prison, managing to creep out of the hospital. In his early 20s, he fell in love and married a chick, Parisian girl named Chantel Campanin. Probably butchering that name, as always. He promised to reform for her, but instead dragged her into his crimes. At one point, they were both arrested, after which she seemingly gave up on their relationship, moving to the U.S. with her daughter, perhaps to escape his influence. In 1972, around the time of the couple's arrest, he was thought to have killed a Pakistani taxi driver, possibly his first murder, which he later confessed to, but ultimately retracted the statement. Some say the loss of his wife and child embittered him, propelling him to riskier, more dangerous crimes. Others attribute his first known killing, or at least the first that directly fits his M.O., to have occurred in 1975. The murder of U.S. tourist Teresa Knowlton, which who was found in her bikini, drowned just offshore of a scenic beach in the Gulf of Thailand. Another of his victims, Charmaine Carew, would be found dead, similarly adorning only her swimwear. At the time, Knowlton was thought to be acting as a courier for a heroin dealer, and Sabraj would later defend himself by saying he killed her because of her connection to the drug trade. Many of his victims were small-time drug dealers, or drug smugglers, to be specific, or young, idealistic backpackers from Western countries who had set off to find themselves on a hippie trail pilgrimage across Southwest and Southeast Asia. While Sabraj's true motive for killing the young tourists on the trail is still unknown, he claims to only have killed people who were addicted to drugs or drug smugglers, people he considered criminals themselves. He also implied that because the trafficking of, trafficking of opium due to Western influence ruined ma- many Asian lives and economies, his lifestyle was a rebellion from European laws and oppression. He has attempted to portray himself as a victim of his dysfunctional family, Western imperialism, and racism, though experts generally believe these rationalizations are not in alignment with his overall psychological framework. Usually, Sabraj would befriend impressionable explorers, drug them with spiked drinks, rob them of their money, valuables, and passports, and sometimes kill them by varied and brutal methods. Some of them... Some of his alleged victims were drugged to the point of overdose. Some were drowned, some were brutalized and covered in gasoline, burned beyond recognition, and dumped on the side of a road. From his ceaseless supply of stolen IDs, the con man had numerous false identities, making international travel easily easy, especially in the 1970s, when border security measures were less rigorous. He would sometimes use his victim's passport so it wasn't obvious they were missing until long after their disappearance. Many families only knew how to contact them based on the few slow-arriving postcards they might send home. Along the way, Sabraj met a young French-Canadian nurse named Marie-André Leclerc in India, who was instantly besotted with him. She would later write in their meeting, quote, I swore to myself to try all means to make him love me, but little by little I became his slave. He enlisted her as an accomplice, using her medical skills to help drug his victims 
and convinced them that they had caught a tropical bug, trapping them in his apartment. The pair traveled to Bangkok in the mid-1970s, where his murders escalated, with estimates of at least six victims in 1975 alone. Here is also where his web of terror began to unravel. In 1976, as a 32-year-old Sabraj was in the midst of his murder spree, Herman Nippenberg, a junior diplomat of the same age, was working at the Dutch embassy in Bangkok, where he received a letter from the Netherlands. A concerned man was looking for his sister-in-law and her boyfriend, the couple Henrikus Bintanja and Cornelia Hemker, butchering them those names as well, were traveling throughout Asia and had been ardent correspondents, religiously writing to their families twice a week throughout their journey. However, no one had heard from their from them in over six weeks. Nippenberg thought the situation was quite bizarre, but remembered that several weeks prior, two bodies had been found charred beyond recognition on a road about 50 miles north of Bangkok. Initially, there were thought to be missing Australian backpackers, but that duo, duo had resurfaced, leaving the possibilities that the bodies were those of the disappeared Dutch couple. He found a Dutch dentist based in Bangkok to use dental records to identify the bodies. And to their dismay, but not surprise, it was a match. On March 3rd, 1976, Nippenberg also went to the police, which he would later say was still the most shocking thing he ever saw in his long career, a sight that filled him with a passion to bring the killer to justice. The badly mutilated bodies had been put back together as best as possible to try to understand what had happened to them before their death. The results were unimaginable. The autopsy showed that the woman's skull and brain had been bashed in with a heavy object. While the man had been strangled, both had, been, had still been alive when they recovered with an accelerant and set on fire. Nippenberg also remembered hearing a strange, coincidental story from a friend at a Belgian embassy. A young Belgian administrative attaché had learned of a collection of passports belonging to missing people. After a French jewelry dealer named Alan Gautier claimed to have found them in his Bangkok apartment, two of the passports were Dutch. Nippenberg forced the attaché to reveal his informant, learning it was a French woman named Nadine Gires who lived in the same building with the supposed gem dealer. Nippenberg questioned her, who had begun to fear Alan Gautier murdered the individuals who lost their passports. She even remembered seeing the Dutch couple at his apartment. Authorities would later learn that Alain Gautier was one of Sabraj's many aliases. An unsung hero, Gautier would go on to take helpful evidence from his apartment and aided as many as three of his captives in fleeing Bangkok. On March 11, 1976, Geyers called Nippenberg to warn him that Alan Gutierre and his girlfriend Monique were leaving Thailand. Authorities stormed the apartment and took Sabraj in for questioning under his assumed alias. However, Sabraj had inserted his picture into a victim's U.S. passport and was released. By the next morning, Sabraj and Leclerc were long gone, leaving Nippenberg depressed but determined to continue his search. With such 
a mania that the Dutch ambassador ordered he take a three-week leave. Before leaving, Nippenberg and his wife, who is also very devoted to the case, put together a portfolio now known as the Nippenberg Cash, <coughs> delivering them to international embassies across Bangkok. When he, was, when he returned, he was contacted by the Canadian, em- Canadian ambassador, who learned that police had been in contact with Marie-André Leclerc's parents. The only emergency number she had left was for a contact near Marseille, France. When the French police inquired about the emergency contact, they found it was Charles Sabrage's mother. Now they had his name as well, but time was increasingly of the essence. The landlord of Sabrage's Bangkok apartment was itching to put it back on the market. So Nippenberg put together a team to survey the scene before crucial evidence was lost. While in Sabraj's lair, they found over 10 pounds of medicine and other drug-filled containers, with laxatives and powerful sedatives. They also found the murdered Dutch woman's coat and handbag. On May 5, 1976, armed with new evidence, Nippenberg was given permission to go to the press with a story which ran across front pages throughout Bangkok for days. The authorities finally rallied action, alerting Interpol to the serial killer on the loose. Now the entire world was watching for the dangerous man the media had just named the Serpent. Sabraj was running from the law around the world, but it would still be several months before he was caught. Sabraj and Leclerc spent a brief time in Malaysia before traveling by car towards New Delhi, arriving around June 1976. Sabraj was already notorious in India for earlier crimes, and authorities were now charging him with killing two foreigners on Indian soil that year as well. In need of funds, Sabraj pulled an elaborate stunt, attempting to rob a group of 60 French students, poisoning them with capsules he claimed were antibiotics, but were actually filled with sleeping pills and laxatives. The magnitude of the crime drew the attention of the hypervigilant authorities, leading to Sabraj's capture in New Delhi on July 5, 1976. He was arrested on robbery and murder charges and sentenced to 7 to 12 years in Tahar, a prison in New Delhi. Life in prison wasn't bad for Sabraj, who was afforded special privileges as he rose to the top of the social hierarchy by bribing or blackmailing guards. And leveraging his wealth and legal knowledge with other inmates. Even better, while he was in an Indian jail, He could not be extradited to Thailand, where he would face murder charges that could be punishable by death. Leclerc, who was also jailed for her part in the crimes, was diagnosed with fatal ovarian cancer in 1983 and released to her family in Canada for her final days. On March 17, 1986, with only a few weeks until his release, Sabraj orchestrated an escape from Tahar by giving the guards sweets with sedatives. Once again, the serpent was on the loose. However, the move seemed to be largely strategic. A few weeks later, he was captured while a set beer in the seaside resort of Goa, 
to celebrate his 42nd birthday. According to reports from the Associated Press, Sabraj was given an extended sentence in India until 1997. Conveniently, just after the statute of limitations ran out for his crimes in Thailand. So he can no longer be extradited for them. After serving his time in India, Sabraj was free again. He returned to Paris and lived comfortably with a relative amount of celebrity. In 2003, for unexplained reasons, Sabraj traveled to Nepal, where he had committed murder, two murders during the spree. A journalist in Kathmandu recognized him, though he was by no means hiding. He had, in fact, made his arrival public, and he was arrested again. Nippenberg's original documents were crucial in the trial, specifically testimony he collected many years prior from an ex-girlfriend who was with Sabraj in Nepal. Sabraj was finally sentenced to life in prison. Even the ladies' man, he reportedly got engaged to his lawyer's daughter during the trial. She was 20, he was 64. If that ain't creepy, I don't know what is. Some speculate Sabraj went back to Nepal, one of the only countries where he was still wanted, needing to bolster his ego, overconfident in his own ability to evade the law, as he had done so many times before. While most of his alleged accomplices are missing or have since died as of late 2020, Sabraj was still imprisoned in Kathmandu. There are reports that his health is failing, Though no indication, Nepal law enforcement will release him early. Nippenberg, whose fixation with the case was considered highly eccentric, even for all the good it did in the end, believes that because many of the murders remain unsolved, he still cannot feel a sense of closure. He has said, quote, This isn't over for me until he is in a better world, or I am in a better world. I don't take anything for granted. Even now, he may wonder if the serpent, serpent could still slither free of his chains once again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast series, Shit Out of Luck. Let us know your thoughts on this killer by sending us a tweet at True Crime NS or visit us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps or find us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps. Let us know your take on this case. Like us on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. This episode of the Jeff. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.